In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The sea is a strange and fascinating place. For some of us who live close to the water, just like the bay at the end of the street here, the sea is something that we have grown accustomed to seeing as part of our daily life. But on occasion, the sea can be a place that is dreadful and scary and downright dangerous. Throughout the Old Testament, and in particularly the Psalms, which are full of references to the sea, the, the sea is a place where you can see God's work at hand. From the very beginning of creation, God was seen to control the sea, the places of chaos, by causing dry lands to come up out of the sea. Later on in Genesis, God causes the seas to burst forth, flooding all the lands. But he provided for an ark, a lifeboat for the world, to carry Noah, his family, and a literal zoo of creatures and animals to safety. Through the sea, while the Egyptians were pressing on the children of Israel, God led them through the Red Sea on dry land only to have the sea return and drown the armies of Pharaoh, showing once again the power of God over the waters. And we also remember Jonah, who was cast into the sea to appease the Lord God, only to be swallowed by a giant fish and carried to dry land. The Psalms carry images of God of ruling the waters, and protecting those who make their trade, be they fishermen, mariners, or traders. But there is another image of the sea that strikes terror in the heart of Jews and the early Christians alike. Because you see, the sea was full of monsters. Some of them are named, like the Leviathan, which is something akin to a giant sea serpent a more menacing cousin of Nessie in Loch Ness. And in the book of Daniel, the four terrifying beasts that symbolize the great empires of the ancient world come up out of the sea in a vision. It would not be lost on the Jews of Jesus' day that the last and the most terrifying of the beasts was indeed the empire that was occupying their country, the empire of Rome. Our reading begins with Jesus climbing into a boat with his disciples. A few weeks ago, you may remember that at the beginning of this section of readings, Jesus teaches from a boat, using it as a pulpit or platform, to not only deliver a teaching, but also to call his first and earliest disciples. Now, Jesus has returned to this raft, and it is not too much to say that Jesus is exhausted. You can see a weary Jesus returning to this raft and saying to his disciples who were fishermen to put out to sea, to go ahead and start the voyage across the Galilee and that he was going to take some rest. And with that, he crashes, sound asleep in the stern, either on a literal cushion or on a 
burlap-like bag of soft goods like grain or flour. Now, something that we need to understand is that this region around the Galilean Sea is subject to rather high winds that seem to come from nowhere, much like some of our roads in West Texas that tells you to be cautious of high crosswinds. And these winds wreak havoc. The sea is no longer calm. And so instead of a nice, smooth voyage, these winds become gale-force storms, and the waves begin to crash. And you can imagine a small boat and a tempestuous sea that it would not take long for the boat to begin to take on water. But let's stop right there. We're going to leave the disciples who are attempting to bail water out of their boat. But keep thinking about a dark night with winds howling and waves crashing. Perhaps a hurricane coming on shore like when Hurricane Harvey made landfall a stone's throw from here. Or being caught in a tornado in the Midwest. Or driving your car through the fiercest rainstorm that a dry and parched land has seen in months, perhaps even in years. There's a fear that wells up. Some of it may be anxious and nervous energy. But we all know that there are other storms as well. Financial storms, being caught in the storm of a dreaded illness, the marriage that has drifted from calm waters to a rocky shoal with no lighthouse to guide a way out. The long agonizing storms where it seems too much water has overtaken the only ship we have to navigate through life. And in fear or in faith or in desperation or perhaps because we don't even know what else to do because our buckets won't keep the water out, we say, Lord Jesus, we are drowning and dying and you're asleep. You're not doing anything. Don't you care? And it is at that moment when we need to realize something. Jesus calms the winds and the waves by just speaking his word. Just as Jesus taught from the boat, Jesus again speaks. But instead of a voice of teaching, it is a voice of command. In all of the chaos that reigns, in all of the storms that threaten to undo creation, with all the scary and dangerous things that the sea can bring up or that we can conjure in our minds, Jesus says, be quiet. To those things that beset us, and cause us to wonder how many more buckets we can manage. 
It is our blessed Lord who commands order out of chaos. It is our blessed Lord who helps us build life rafts or arcs that protect us when everything is flooding around us. It is our blessed Redeemer who makes a path for us when there is no path forward, even if he has to make a path by dividing a river or a sea and giving us dry ground to walk on. It is our blessed protector who knows what monsters lurk in the waters and says, you see those monsters? Fear not. I have already conquered them and sin and death and all the powers of hell. Jesus could sleep in the stern of the boat in peace because Jesus knew what the power of God can do. And it is little wonder that Jesus, after all we have seen and known already in our gospel, it's little wonder that he sometimes says to us, are you still unbelieving? Do you still have unfaith? Storms come, and they vary greatly in what they are and in their intensity. And they can threaten us, or our family, or even the Holy Church of God. And we can ask if God really cares about us, or if God is even powerless against what is assaulting us. And the answer is twofold. Yes, God cares. And yes, God is indeed powerful enough and mighty enough to save. He, through who, he who through history has acted sometimes through water and sometimes through seas and storms can act and does continue to act. Our command is to be courageous, to hold to faith, and to trust in God's saving power. Remember the words of Moses to the children of Israel. Do not be afraid. Stand firm and see the deliverance that the Lord will accomplish for you today. This passage is one that I can't help but hear a soundtrack playing in my head. There is a gospel song that was written in 1905 by Charles Albert Tinsley. And some of you may know it. And it is the perfect juxtapositioning of troubles and faith and doubt and God's faithfulness. The song says this. When the storms of life are raging, stand by me. When the world is tossing me like a ship upon the sea, thou who rulest wind and water, stand by me. 
in the midst of tribulations, stand by me. When the hosts of hell assail and my strength begins to fail, thou who never lost a battle, stand by me. In the midst of faults and failures, stand by me. When I've done the best I can and my friends misunderstand, thou who knowest all about me, stand by me. In the midst of persecution, stand by me. When my foes in war array undertake to stop my way, thou who rescued Paul and Silas, stand by me. When I'm growing old and feeble, stand by me. When my life becomes a burden, and I'm nearing chilly, chilly Jordan. O oh, thou lily of the valley, stand by me. This place, this parish, is a place for the battered, the storm-weary, the people who ask the question, God, why don't you care? You know them. I know them. They are at work or at school or we play softball or even maybe gin rummy with them. They are everywhere. Perhaps just maybe part of our aim is to be Jesus to them, saying to them, peace, be still, and come. Learn to have the faith and the power of Almighty God. But they will never know unless you invite them yourself. Amen.